Father in heaven, I want to thank you for another wonderful day here at Fountain View and for this week of prayer that um, we can have together, Lord, that we can come together and set aside quality time to pray and to seek you and to understand your word. Lord, the theme of this week has been the unhindered gospel. And certainly when we look at our own lives, there are things that have hindered us from fully knowing you. There have been things that have hindered us from experiencing the gospel to the fullest. Uh, And I pray that uh, in the course of this week, uh, as you have been revealing these things to us, that we will be willing to surrender them fully to you, to lay them at the foot of the cross, that we may experience the unhindered gospel, the power that you want to give to each one of us. And Lord, this evening as we talk about identity, a new identity in Christ, I pray that you will empower us from above, that you will give us the very words that we need, that you will tailor make this message to fit each and every person's need in this room. For I pray and ask this in the precious name of your Son, and let everyone say, Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to spend our time this evening um, in Romans chapter 5. That's where we have arrived in our, in our um, presentation series so far. But before we go to Romans chapter 5, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to start out in chapter 7, and then we're going to make a jump back, and we're going to um, uh, spend some time in Romans 5 as well. Um, so turn to Romans chapter 7. You should be able to find this book very quickly by now. Your Bibles might even just drop open to the book of Romans since, since you have opened to that book a number of times this week already. Uh, Romans chapter 7, and we're going to start with looking at an identity that I believe each of us can relate to or have been able to relate to at one point uh, in our lives. Uh, maybe this even describes uh, the experience that you're going through right now. An identity that we find described here in Romans chapter 7. So that's where we're going to start off in verse 15. Romans 7, beginning in verse 15. These are the words of Paul the Apostle, the writer of the book of Romans, and he says the following For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. And if you drop down to verse 18 and 19, he further elaborates upon this experience and he says the following, verse 18 and 19. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I think we can all look at our lives and somehow relate to the words of Paul here. As Christians, we know what is right, but to do what is right is something else. How often have you had the experience that, you know, I should not say that, but I do. I should not let that habit control me, control me but it does. I should not get irritated, but I do. I should not eat that, but I do. I should not wear that, but I do. I should not go there, but I do. Anyone had that experience in your life? There's this, there's this identity crisis. We want to do what is right, but, but it just, we, we just don't find the strength to do what is right. Paul is describing an experience here that we can all relate to. We come to this point where, you know, we look into the mirror of life and we ask ourselves the question, what what, what is wrong? What is wrong with me? 
I want so much to do what is right, but I just don't find the strength. I don't find the, 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 the power. And I, it's like looking in the mirror of life and we ask ourselves the question, what is wrong? What is wrong? And Paul asks the same question if you drop down to verse 24. Look at his conclusion as he looks into the mirror of life, so to speak. Look at what Paul says. Verse 24 of the same chapter. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's his conclusion as he looks at himself. Oh, wretched man that I am. And these words, he's not just looking at a couple of mistakes that he made in his life. He's actually seeing that there's a fundamental problem, and that is a wretched condition. But he doesn't stay there. He says something else. Verse 24, second part of the verse. He asks a question, a very pivotal question, a question that each of us must ask. And this is the question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And what Paul gets right, you and I need to get right as well. And that is that we need to ask this pivotal question, who will deliver me? You see, Paul is not asking what will deliver me. Paul is not asking where will I find deliverance. Paul is not asking when will I find deliverance, but he's asking who will deliver me. In other words, uh, in the question is implied that the answer is in a person. Can you say amen to that? And we have already found out in, our, in the course of our time together in studying the book of Romans, it's important that we don't get caught up in a pattern of religion, but we need to turn to the person that it's all about, and that is Jesus Christ. And he is the one and only pattern that we must follow in our lives. And so we all can relate to the experience at some point in our lives that, yeah, we want to do what is good, but we fall short. We look into the mirror of life, and like Paul, we, there's something not right. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched woman that I am. But we don't need to stay there, my friends. We can ask the same question that Paul asked. What, uh, who will deliver me? Many times the question is asked, what will deliver me? And we look at some ways uh, to help ourselves to get a little bit better. As a matter of fact, if you go into a bookstore today, um, even if you go into a Christian bookstore, a large majority of the books on, uh, uh, that you will find in those bookstores are on self-help, self-help category. And, uh, you know, how can I make more money in life? Or how can I become more fit, you know, physically? Uh, how can I do better in my marriage? And how can I... And, you know, even though those books might contain some good, good counsel and, you know, helpful instructions... They are, not, they are not really going to the core of the problem. Because what, what, what many times happens, or what we see in these self-help books, is it's all about improving yourself, improving yourself, making yourself better. But the Bible actually tells us, and the book of Romans makes this very clear, that we cannot better ourselves, that we cannot make ourselves better, but that we need a power outside of ourselves, a source that is not in us, and so we do not ask the question, where do I find deliverance, seeking power from within, but we rather ask the question, who will deliver me? It's a, it's a person, and that's Jesus, and he's the only one that can truly make me what I am created to be, and that is the son and a daughter of God. You know, many times when you, when you, look, at the, when you look at the self-help collection of books, what happens is it might modify character, but it doesn't transform character. And there's a huge big difference. 
And we can fall into the pattern within religion to try to modify things, try to be a little bit better here, try to be a little bit better here, and we might do quite well, but, but there's something that is going on in the very heart. The heart needs to be changed. We need to be changed from within. We need a power outside of ourselves, the power of the life of Jesus revealed in the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And this is when the gospel can truly go forth unhindered. And so in the book of Romans, in chapter 7, we have this picture that is painted, um, which is really a picture of all of humanity and the identity that we have when we do not have Jesus in our lives. But now we're going to jump back to um, Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look in Romans chapter 5 at the identity that God wants to give us. And this is going to be very encouraging, this study. So I, I invite you to turn a couple of chapters back to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to take a look at verse 12. And perhaps before we start reading, just a little recap here of what we have uh, discovered so far in the book of Romans. It's really been uh, a journey uh, through this book as we've looked at lessons in the book of Romans in each and every chapter, um, or at least we've come so far uh, till chapter 5. Uh, I wish we had a lot more time and we could have gone uh, more exhaustively through these verses, but, but we've been able to catch the big picture here of what is taking place. In the book of Romans, Paul starts out with showing the necessity of, um, of, of, of every person to come to Christ because we have all gone astray. We have all fallen short. In the first chapter, he describes how we rather serve the created than the creator. We would rather want the gifts of God but without the life giver himself. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, we looked at how um, not only is this a problem for people that don't claim to follow God, but this is also a problem in the religious world. As a matter of fact, there are, there's a pattern that we find that um, we would rather have the religious pattern than the power that comes from a person, Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, Paul really sums it up in, 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 in verse 23 where he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So really in the three first chapters, you just have this picture of all humanity, both those that claim to be religious and those that don't claim to be religious. And we're all, we've all come short. We are all in great need of a savior. Then in chapter four, you have this beautiful story of Abraham, which we looked at last time, and how Abraham clung to the promise of God. And he was accounted righteous because he believed in the promise. And he stepped out in faith, acting upon that promise. And this is the experience that God wants to give to each one of us. And so we come to Romans chapter 5. And Romans chapter 5 is really about the identity that God wants to give us. A new identity. So let's read verse 12. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And listen to what it says. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin, here Paul is describing that through one person sin entered into the world. And who was that? Which was that one person that he's talking about here? That's Adam, right? Adam was the responsible, the first created being. He was responsible. He fell, and because of his fall, sin entered into this world. Now, um, through Adam, sin entered, and, and, and because of that, we are all affected by that, right? Now, verse 12 is followed by a long parenthesis, which is typical for the Apostle Paul, and it really goes all the way to verse 18. But we're just going to look at verse 18 and 19, where kind of Paul sums up this comparison that he makes between the first 
um, human being that fell, Adam, and the solution which is found in Christ Jesus. So look at verse 18 and 19. We won't read the entire parenthesis there, but we'll just jump down to verse 18 and 19. Now listen to what it says. Therefore, and so here Paul is making his conclusion. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, and that is, of course, Jesus Christ, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So Paul in Romans chapter 5 is making a comparison between two individuals. He is comparing Adam, the first created human being that fell, into sin with Christ, the one that came and died for our sins, that lived a perfect life and died for our sins and rose from the grave. So through one comes condemnation, but through the other comes justification. And he's making these comparisons between Adam and Christ. Through Adam comes disobedience, through Adam comes sin, condemnation, death, but through Christ comes obedience, grace, justification, and life. Now, the Bible clearly tells us and clearly shows us that we have all walked in the path of Adam. Just like Adam chose to sin, so we have all chosen to sin, right? And because we have all chosen to sin, we have all come short of the glory of God. And so naturally, we belong into what we want to call tonight the family of Adam. We're going to look at two families. We have the family of Adam and we have the family of Christ, and we are all born into the family of Adam. And we have all chosen the path of Adam. Adam chose for the path of sin. We have chosen for the path of sin. And the result of sin is really death. It's condemnation. It's not a beautiful picture at all. And that's why Romans 7 is so, is so you know, it's, it's a very clear description of the family of Adam. A graphic description. You know, we, we come short and, and we try to do what is right but we fall. And we see the standard of where we want to be, but, but we're lacking power. In Adam, we lack power. We lack strength. We look into the mirror of life, and like Paul, we can say, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched woman that I am. Who will deliver me? But, you know, the first step is asking that question, who will deliver me? And the Bible tells us very clearly that there is salvation outside of no one but Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, when he came and lived a perfect life, obedient to the law of God, dying the death and paying the penalty of your sin and my sin, he provided a way to take you from the family of Adam and bring you into the family of God. And this is the most beautiful truth in the entire universe, that we can actually be adopted as a family member of God. We are born into the family of Adam, where there's nothing but condemnation, and yet because of the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, we are taken from that family and we're placed in the family of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that is the most powerful, beautiful truth in the universe. And when this really dawns on us, and this really, and we might have heard it many times, you know, through Jesus, you become a new person, but if we really, really think about the implications of this new family, it will change the way we live altogether. 
You know, I, um, I grew up in, uh, in New Zealand, but when I was 10 years old, my parents are Dutch, um, and when I was 10 years old, my parents decided that we're going to move back to Holland. And so we moved back to Holland, and uh, we're actually, a f I have four siblings, so we, are five, we were five kids, and a little bit also now and then like, like an anthill, you know, like, like here. And, uh, but when we came to Holland, and, and, and we were all um, uh, growing up there, and going to school, and active in life, uh, my parents decided that they wanted to do something for, um, for, for children that, that, that didn't really have an easy, t an easy time. They, they actually thought it through and they, they had really thought about this for a long time that they wanted to have a foster child and ad to adopt a child. And even though we were f there were five of us, they still decided, you know, we're going to help another child that, that is not so, has not had the advantage of, of, of parents uh, to care for, for, for them. And um, we ended up, or my parents ended up adopting a child, um, and she was four years old when she came to, to live with us. And she stayed with us all the way till she left, left home. So basically, I consider her uh, as my sister. Um, and it's interesting because she was adopted into our family, and, um, but it was not an easy transition for her. Um, because she had come from parents that were basically, uh, they, they were on drugs, her parents. Uh, they had abandoned her. Um, she, had, she ended up living uh, in, an, in a kind of a, yeah, a help, uh, you know, an institution where they take care of such children for a while. She was there for a number um, of years. Uh, she just had a very difficult past. And uh, of course, with all of that baggage, she basically came into um, our home. And uh, I remember very well uh, growing up, and there was always these difficult moments because her parents, though they were, you know, addicted to drugs and they were on alcohol and they didn't really care about her at all, they would also at times really feel guilt because they hadn't taken care of her. And so they would actually try to get the authority back to, to, to basically take her back into, into the home. Now, they were divorced, but both of them were trying to get the authority over uh, my new sister. And um, uh, my parents even ended up at one time in a court case because they were really, you know, pressing for, for to, to get the, what do you call that in English, custody? Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. To, and, and so it was quite a, quite a situation that I remember we were going through. As a matter of fact, at one point, they were writing letters to my parents. And they were, they, um, they were writing letters. They were, they were calling my parents. And, and they were pretty angry because this was their child and they were going to take care of her. But of course, we knew very well what would happen if, if my sister would have gone back to them. It would have not been a pretty picture at all. And, uh, but it's interesting because when, when, what we see here is a, a, you know, a situation where um, the authority had been taken from her parents and placed upon my parents. And so though they called and though they wrote emails and though even if they would show up and knock on the door, they had no authority over her because the legal situation was such that the authority had been taken from them and placed upon my parents. It was a legal act and they couldn't change it. No matter what they tried they could they could knock on the door you know they could call they could write as many emails as they wanted but it wouldn't change the fact that legally she now belonged to my parents now think about this we are born into a family and that's the family of Adam this is where we are this is where we are and and you know it's not a very pretty picture 
Uh, according to the book of Romans, the, the, the family of Adam gives us condemnation. It gives us, you know, it gives us death. It leads to death. It's, 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 a, it's not a beautiful picture at all. And we are in this family, but praise God, because Christ came to this world, and because he, died, he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, he paid the price so that you and I can be adopted into the family of God. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, the authority has been taken from Adam and has been placed on Christ. Amen? And there's, and there's nothing that you did to make this happen. As a matter of fact, this happened even before you were aware of it. If you go back to the book of Romans, let me show you this. Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse, um, not verse 12, but a little bit before that, we're going to look at verse 10 and 11. Look at what it says. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we shall rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. My friends, there is a reconciliation that has happened, and it happened according to Scripture, even while we were still enemies. The reconciliation happened. The way was prepared, but now it comes to a point that you and I become aware of this. The Holy Spirit works upon our lives. We realize our identity in Adam. We realize what Jesus has done on the cross, and we put our confidence in Christ, and the moment that we put our faith in Him, we realize that we have been adopted into the family of God, and we start living in a different way. Now, it's quite fascinating because, um, um, you know, I, I've been doing some reading and some research about um, adoptions and, and how it works, and recently there, it has become more and more popular for families in Western cultures to adopt children from less fortunate countries, from third world countries. And it's interesting what happens uh, when some of these children are adopted. Um, I read a report, I heard of a report where, um, and, and this is not just a one-time case, this happens quite a, a significantly um, amount of times this happens, where a child is adopted from a less fortunate country, a third world country, is brought into a Western setting, a Western family, and suddenly this child has, has everything, you know, and, and the child is not used to that at all. They come, from, um, they come from a home where they were neglected, uh, in many ways abandoned, sometimes not enough food. You know, uh, they, 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 didn't know, they don't know what it's all like to have enough food during the day to, to be loved and cared for. And there was this report of this child that was brought, and, and this is, again, this is not just one report, this happens multiple times, where a child is brought into a uh, new family in a Western setting, and what will happen is that child will actually take food. Of course, they, they get three meals a day. They get plenty, plenty of food, but they will take that food, and they will actually hide it in their rooms. And the reason why is because they still believe that they might not get another meal that day. And they don't know if they're going to get a meal that, uh, tomorrow. And so they are living according to their old family. They're living according to their old circumstances. They are not yet aware, even though the, trans, the transition has taken place, they are in a new family now, but they're still living according to the old family. They are not aware of the provision that is in this new family. And isn't that 
just a, a, a very, very um, illustrative picture of how it works with us and the gospel. You know, we are born into the family of Adam, but Jesus Christ has reconciled us. Jesus Christ has set us free. Jesus Christ has made provision so that we are adopted into the family of God. But how many times, though we are in the family of God, we live according to the family of Adam? We, we, we don't believe that God is able. We, we, we lack faith in the provision of God. Let me tell you, when we, when we really believe the promises of God, there is provision here. There is spiritual power here. The Holy Spirit has been promised to those that ask for Him. We have a Father that wants to bestow upon us all gifts. And this is shown because He gave us Jesus, and He couldn't give more than He gave, than, than he gave in His Son, Jesus Christ. How much more shall He not give you all things? And so as children of God, we have access to power from the Holy Spirit. We, can, we have access to a power that will enable us to live in a new way. But my friends, it will only come to pass when we understand our identity as sons and daughters of God. And so many times we try to change our behavior, and in, in trying to change our behavior, we're still over here in Adam. And you know, Adam, Adam's condition and, and, and our condition without Christ, let's just face it, it's unfixable. It is absolutely unfixable. It's like, you know, um, if you have a wall that is just rotten on the inside and it's crumbling to pieces, you're not going to try to patch up that wall. What do you do with that wall? You break it down and you start over again. Like, what, what the world is doing is it's providing us with self-help books, you go into Christian bookstores, you will find a big, big, big category of books, segment of books on self-help. This is what you can do to have a better marriage. This is what you can do to, to, to live a better life. This is how, what you need to do to, to manage your finances. And there might be good instruction in those books, but my friends, it's not really dealing with the heart issue. I mean, if you're just going to fix your finances, it doesn't make you more generous. If you're just going to fix your health, at best, it makes you a healthy sinner. But if you really want to deal with the heart of the matter, it's a transformation that can only take place when we're in the adopted family of God. Amen? And that's where we need to be. And when we understand our identity, that we have an identity shift. Hey, whoa, 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 I'm no longer in Adam. I am in Christ. And when you understand that identity shift, then the behavioral pattern will follow because you will live according to your new family. Amen? You will, you will, you will understand that, that the provision is there. God is your father. He has given you power. He has given you strength. He wants to set you free from sin. He wants to give you victory in all areas of your life, but you must believe that you're a child of God, that you have a belonging in the family of God because of what Christ has done on the cross. You look at all world religions today, and the all world religions outside of true Christianity are a picture of mankind trying to better themselves, just trying to fix themselves, right? Like whether, it's, whether they believe in, in, in a God or a supreme being or whatever it may be that they claim to believe has all power and authority, they are to do this and do that and do that in order to come closer to that being to come in harmony with that being. We see it in Eastern religions, 
You know, we see it in Islam, the five pillars of Islam. We find it in the New Age movement, meditate in a certain way, say this in a certain way. We find it in Catholicism, the works of Catholicism. We find it in so many areas. Do this, do that, and make your, try to make your way from where you are to where God wants you to be. And that is not true Christianity. And if that's what you've believed about the gospel, then you need a radical paradigm shift. Because the gospel is not making you better from where you are. The gospel is taking you and setting you in a new family. And in that new family is the only possibility of spiritual growth. Amen? That's where you spiritually grow. When you understand that you're in a new family and that your provision comes from God himself. That he gives you the power and the authority and, the, and, and, and it's because of the life of Jesus and his death that now his life can be lived out in you. It's not about battering ourselves, making ourselves better. It's about accepting the life of Jesus and then acting upon the promise. Because look, we looked at the story of Abraham yesterday. Abraham didn't just believe the promises of God, but he stepped out in faith and he acted upon that promise. And when we have our belonging in the family of God, we will act upon the promises of God. There's one story that I just love, uh, and that's the story of the Israelites, they've been, you know, all those years in the wilderness, and now they're going to move into the promised land. There's the promised land, but there's a river before them. It's the River Jordan. Remember, they passed through the Red Sea, but there was another water that they had to pass before they entered into the promised land. That was the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us that the priests that were holding the Ark of the Covenant, that, the, that they stepped into the water, and as they stepped into the water and their feet were wet, that's when the river opened up and they passed over dry land. And many times when uh, my wife and I, we like to say that to each other, when we come into challenging situations, you know, in ministry as we're traveling and, 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 and dealing with a lot of people in a lot of different places and situations come up and difficulties come up uh, and we need to step out in faith, we will say to each other, why don't we step into the water? And we know exactly what we mean when we say that. Step into the water, step out in faith, make a step in faith, and God will open the way. There is provision in this new family, amen? There's provision, but we must step out in faith. We must act upon the promise, and God's salvation will be seen. God's way will be made manifest, just as the way was opened for the Hebrews to enter into the promised land. There's a scripture that I would like to look at as we come to our close this evening that I believe really reveals uh, in many ways or, or pulls together what we've been talking about this evening. Uh, I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians and chapter 3. And um, it was just a number of years ago that I read this passage again. I'd read it a number of times, but suddenly it dawned on me just the power of, of, this, of these verses that we're about to read. The implication, the strong implication of what God is telling us here. Colossians chapter 3 and beginning in verse 1. And we want to read this with the understanding that, yes, God has given us a new family. We have been adopted into the family of Christ, into the family of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. Now listen to verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Now, the implications of verse 3 is just huge. If we allow these words to just sink into the soil of our minds for a moment, what is, what is, what is the Word of God telling us here? When Jesus died, when we put our faith in the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus is really, we, it's really a death that we experience. Now, what it says here is that we died. We died with him. He, Christ united himself so much with us that when, we, when he died, we really died. And when he rose, we rose. And we now are invited into a new family with God. And what is the result of that? Look at verse 5. This is powerful. Verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then it lists all these, you know, sins, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And it goes on to list these things. Now, what we oftentimes do, and I think you can relate to this, we switch this absolutely the other way around. And we say, okay, if, if, if we can deal with our sin, with our, unfor, with our fornication, with our uncleanliness, with, with our passion, with our evil desires, if we can deal with these things, then we can come into a relationship with Jesus, right? But this passage is saying that if we put our faith in Christ, then his death and resurrection is so united with us that we become part of this new family. And because we are part of this family, therefore... Put away these things. Put away these sins. Do you see the difference? It's either trying to make ourselves, to, to get ourselves to the point of acceptance, or understand that we have been accepted, and in that acceptance we grow in Christ. We overcome. You see, it's like going to the doctor. When you go to the doctor and you have some ailment, some sickness, that the doctor is going to accept you, but he's not going to leave you the way you are. Amen? He's going to accept you, but what he's going to do, he's going to start treating you. He's going he's to start, you know, he, this, the, the healing process is going to begin as he applies the various remedies that are needed in order for you to be healed. This is exactly what's happening. Christ has, he says, okay, you're not going to be able to do it on your own, but I will take you because of my death and resurrection. I've, I've united myself with you. I've reconciled you. You belong now into a new family. And in this new family, now the healing is going to take place. Now you're going to start growing. Now I'm going to apply these remedies in your life. And those remedies, my friends, it's the word of God. It's the promises of God. And we must believe them. And not only believe them, but step out in faith. Claim them as yours. When you fall into temptation, when you, when you realize there's some challenge that you're facing in your life, Take the scriptures, look up those promises. You know, it's very helpful to memorize them. Write them down, write them down, and then claim them, read them, in, and pray over them. At the very moment that you, that you find yourself in a difficult situation, at the very moment that you feel tempted to go an opposite path, take that verse, take that scripture, and pray, help God, I believe, I cannot do this in my own strength, I need you, but I step out of faith, I claim this promise, now bring deliverance, help me, provide the way. And God, your heavenly Father, has all the provision of heaven available for you. Oh, God would rather send hundreds, thousands of angels to aid you if it was needed, and he will do so, and we must believe that. Don't, don't, don't be like the child that was adopted and didn't believe that he got another meal. But accept that you are in the family of God and that your God, your Heavenly Father, has all provision made available for you to overcome sin. Amen? 
all provision available for you to be an overcomer in the power of God. That's my, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself, that, I will, that we will all enter into that experience, that we will understand that our identity is rooted and grounded in Christ. You know, in 2001, the 16th of June, 2001, I made the best decision that I could ever have made in my life, and that was that I was baptized. I was baptized on, on, on that day, and I remember so well that, you know, I had, actually, let me share this with you. The verse that my pastor at that time gave to me is so applicable to the message that I'm sharing with you this evening, because he gave me the following verse, and maybe some of you know this, know this verse, Romans 8, verse 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the verse that, that, that was given to me that day that I was baptized, that I decided to, to follow Christ fully, was that I have been adopted by the Father. I belong in a new family now. And baptism is really the outward sign of saying, you know what? I want to belong in this new family of God. This is the family where I now belong. I can say, Abba, Father. I have a new father. I have a father that, that, that has created the world. And if he can keep the world in its orbit, certainly he can keep his, my life in, his, in the palms of his hands. And I believe that. And because of what Christ has done, Christ has united himself so much with me that Christ said, when I died, you died. When I rose, you rose. You belong to me. You belong to me. I reconciled you. This is the power of the cross, the power of the death of Jesus in that when he rose from the grave, that he promised to give us a new experience, a new life, a new chapter. And maybe some of you here this evening, you have not made that decision yet to be baptized. It's something that you may have thought about, something that, you've, that you've, you know, has gone through your mind, you've considered, but you know, it would be it would be, I believe it would almost be a sin for me to be here at the week of prayer and not give you the opportunity to make such a decision. And so, you know, I want to I ask tonight, is there anyone here that has not yet been baptized? And we're not going to baptize you tonight, so don't be afraid. But you would like to make that decision tonight. You know what? I, I would want to be baptized into the family of God. Is there anyone that would like to make that decision tonight here at the week of prayer? Amen. Amen. Would you just like to stand for a moment? I don't want to put you on the spot, but maybe there's someone else. It's always good when, there's, when, when, when one person has made that decision. Is there anyone else? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anyone else, you want to belong into the family of God. Amen? Amen. I just want to give a, a moment longer for anyone that says, you know, I have, I'm born into the family of Adam, and I see what, 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 what God ha has done for me in Christ, and I want to belong in His family, and I want to make that decision to be baptized, to actively take that step and show the people around me that this is the family that I want to belong to. Anyone else that would like to... At this moment, make that decision. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I don't want to draw this too much out, but is there anyone else? You say, tonight the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart, and you say, I do not want to belong to the family of Adam any longer. I want to belong to the family of Christ. I praise God for each of you that have stood. I would like to invite you to come forward. We're going to have a special prayer in closing. I just want to especially dedicate those that have just made this decision here. Uh, if you would come forward and that we'd like to pray with you. Maybe I could also invite, if there's any staff here tonight, to come forward and that we can just make a, a special prayer here with these students as, um, as we dedicate our lives to Him. Amen. Why don't we kneel together?
Dear Heavenly Father, what a great privilege it is to belong to you. What a great privilege that in the midst of a world that is experiencing an identity crisis, that you have given us a firm and wonderful identity in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you have taken us out of this world, out of the family of Adam, and you have brought us into the family that you have made, a family where you are our Father, where all provision is available. And Lord, as we enter into this family, we want to praise you and thank you for the opportunity to live our lives with you. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you that we don't need to live according to our old family, but that we can live according to this new family. And Lord, I want to praise you especially for those that have stood to their feet tonight, made the decision to, that they want to be baptized, that they want to enter into that covenant with you. I thank you for each one of them that has made that decision. And I pray in a special way, Lord, that you will shield them with your angels, that you will be with them as they prepare for this great moment, and that, Lord, you will affirm for them their calling. Help them to be faithful. Help them to look unto you as the author and finisher of their faith. And bless them abundantly, Lord. And may we be the support to them that they need as they prepare for this great moment. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.